0: Thank you for listening to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Woo! Good. couple of you are happy to be here. Great. Good to see you. Uh, just kidding. If you're online, uh, we are so happy you joined us as well. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and We are cranking away, we're in week two of this uh, series called The Almighty Dollar and you guys came back, I'm so excited. It's always nerve wracking and I mentioned this last week, like talking about money because like you never know what the response is gonna be and so I guess we did okay, you guys came back uh, from last week, so that's good. Or you're a completely different set of people, I don't know. but uh, but yeah, we're we're continuing to crank in. We're in week two. This is a three-week series, and so uh, we'll wrap it up next week. In the following week, we're going to enter in into the uh, the book of Titus. We're going to walk through the book of Titus before Christmas. It's a short book, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I said until Christmas. Some of you are like, "What?" Uh, yeah, it's October next week. This week it's October. Oh my gosh! Um, so uh, we are cranking in and pushing in towards the uh, the end of the year, and we are excited um, about where. We are going, but until then, let's get into uh, week two. Um, uh, last night, I want you to know that uh, uh, yesterday, actually, my whole family and I, we went down to Redlands, California. Um, and a lot of you probably maybe don't know where Redlands is. Um, if, it, Like if you start driving south. And you just keep driving south until you get to a point where you're like, why am I here? That's Redlands, California. Um, It's like four hours away. We had, I have a a former student uh, who got married yesterday. Her wedding was like at four. And so uh, we did the wedding thing and then the reception thing. And then so Sarah and I got home at like, 12.30 or so last night, Um, and so I was like just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so excited to wake up uh, this morning and uh, be with you all. Um, And so uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And so uh, knowledge would be knowing that I can drive down there and make it back by 12.30 and waking up and preaching a message this morning. Wisdom would be whether or not I actually should do it, right? And, uh, And so there is a very distinct difference here between those two things, and I think largely uh, the American church, America in general, not just American church, has begun to feast on this idea of knowledge and left out that that very important piece of wisdom uh, between the two. And wisdom really is it is it is much. Different. Uh, the, the, I looked it up. The primary difference, because I'm not smart enough to know this, the primary difference between the two words is: is wisdom really does involve like a a healthy dose of perspective and the ability to kind of make uh, uh, uh sound judgments about a subject, while knowledge is simply knowing, right? And so there's a famous quote, an author who is now unnamed because everybody says it, but knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it, right? Like that would be the difference between those two. And my guess is, is that all of you have probably known somebody in your life who is like that wise sage in your life, right? Just think back to that person, like if you would be totally okay pulling up a chair and And just being like, I'm just going to sit here and can you just talk to me and I won't say a word. I'm just going to sit here and listen. Not the people who demand that you sit there and listen and don't say anything. That's someone different. Someone that you want to pull up a chair with, right? Or maybe you don't have that person but you watch Star Wars. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Yoda to to Luke or Obi-Wan to uh, uh, Darth Vader who ultimately failed and was a completely different sermon. Um, Anyway... Right, you know about those, like, you know those people who are wise, the, the, those wisdom type people. I have a man in my life, his name, is, his name is Jack Hamilton, and he is that type of person. He actually called me this week. He's that guy that, like, when he calls you, you're like, I have to answer this. I don't care what else is going on. My wife could be in labor right now. I'm going to answer this, but I wouldn't have done that because um, wisdom. Um, no, no, but he's that type of guy that, that I just want to sit and listen to him and let's have a conversation. And, hey, I, I would call him and I'd be like, hey, this is what I got going on. Jack, what, would, what, would, what do you think some good advice would be um, for that? You know, his marriage is healthy. His kids are following Jesus. And like I said, if I have ever have any questions about life, about ministry or anything like that, I'm calling him first and just shutting my mouth and listening to uh, his sage-type wisdom. And so while he is incredibly knowledgeable, he is my wise sage in this world. And the reason I I bring that up is because when it comes to money, for some reason, all wisdom kind of goes out the window oftentimes. Right? We for for some reason get blinded by our own desire. We think about what we what we can buy versus what maybe we should buy or what I wanted versus what I actually need. Um, there, there's a lot of different things like like sometimes there are things that that promise to to make our life easier, right? Like Costco has made a killing with that. Like every time you walk into Costco and they always change that front aisle, it's like always to make your life easier, right? Like summertime, it's crazy how they always have towels and sunscreen and watermelon next to each other. Like oh, this is so simple. My life is so easy now if I can get just get these couple things or like a blender that can blend a, a soda can to shreds because it's totally necessary. Like my life is easier now. Because of Costco. I mean, I can't afford anything, but my life is now easier um, because of Costco. Right, and so we have all of these different decisions, these these reasons for buying things. Maybe it's for fulfillment, or maybe because we think it's going to bring us joy in some way. Like if I can just get that new boat, man, the family will be so much closer. And this is how we condone it, right? Like, oh, think about the great times that we'll have while we do these different things. We can't afford to bring any food on the boat, but we'll have the boat, right? Like it'll feel we'll feel good about ourselves. And so, making financial decisions based on kind of that criteria alone isn't healthy, and it's not God honoring at all. There's no wisdom there. There's actually an inscription that I saw. Uh, It's in Deadwood, South Dakota. Yes, that Deadwood, like the cowboy capital craziness place of the world, but it's it's in the the Wild West Museum, and it says this. It says, uh, I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I'm out of food. The Indians are after me but I've got all the gold I can carry, right? And oftentimes that's kind of how we think about our finances. That's how we think about our money, that you can easily translate this into the 21st century, that we're kind of blinded by our own ambition and can think to ourselves, well, I don't have anything else. I can't afford to eat. My car is broken down. The creditors are after me, but look at all of my stuff. Right? And that tends to be just the way that we kind of go through that. And that sort of wisdom we use oftentimes when it comes that more blinded by our own ambition and our own desires. And we can think to ourselves, well, I don't have anything else. I can't afford to eat all of those things. But look at all of my stuff. So last week we talked a lot about philosophy, big picture stuff, right? We talked about how all of it is God's, that your tithe is still 90% short of what is God's, right? We talked about everything like that. Today we're going to get a little bit more into practicality, which is why I wanted to talk to you about the idea of wisdom. We're going to be mostly in the book of Proverbs, so if you have your Bible, you can flip open or click open to the book of Proverbs. And that's why I wanted to talk about wisdom first. Because Proverbs is a book of wisdom literature. It's why oftentimes you don't see pastors like do an entire sermon series through the book of Proverbs. They'll pick a couple because each line, oftentimes as you read through the book of Proverbs, is a brand new sermon that you could preach, right? And so for this, we get the opportunity to kind of pull some verses out. They're not They're not out of context. It's just wisdom that we're pulling out. And we are going to apply that to our present day situation. It's something that we wouldn't normally um, wouldn't normally do. So today is going to be a lot more practical. And I want you to think about this message not just like as a message about how to manage money. I'm not Dave Ramsey. I will not take phone calls and give you financial advice. I'm more than happy to take phone calls and pray for you. I'm not nearly as talented as that man is in that specific way. But I can give some, some kind A spiritual truth about how when we don't manage our money well, our money is going to manage us. That's the reality of the situation when it comes to our finances. If we don't manage it, it's going to manage us and our attention, our resources, our time, everything that we think is important begins to work against us rather than for us when we don't have uh, good control over our money. So again, while the Bible is not going to be your financial advisor here, it's not going to tell you where it is that you should invest your 401k, because the Bible is not a textbook. The Bible is going to give us some real practical advice. But before we get to Proverbs, Matthew 624 is how I want to frame the whole thing. Matthew 624, it says this, no one can serve two masters. It's a familiar passage. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to do. And so if you think to yourself, oh yeah, I love God, but I'm putting all of my hope in my, in my uh, retirement account. I'm putting all of my hope in my extra shifts that I'm getting. I'm putting all of my hope in this financial security is oftentimes what we call it. But really it is just more and more and more and want and want and want. And there's no way you're going to be able to fully serve God. So in short, either you manage your money or your money is going to manage you. There's a book. It's a little bit of an older book. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. Okay, it was written by a man by the name of Thomas J. Stanley. And he interviews a whole bunch of people as he's going across America. And he compiled all of these things into a book. But the interviews are with people who have a true net worth in excess of a million dollars. So these are people who have good financial means. And he found something very, very interesting. He actually said that it isn't the people in the wealthiest neighborhoods with the biggest houses and nicest cars that are truly wealthy by American standards. It's the people next door who live in average houses, drive modest cars, and who have lived on far less than they have. It's people who have decided to manage their money rather than allowing their money to manage them. Because really, our idea of money and our concept of money in America tends to be, hey, we're going to fake it till we make it. Right, Like if I can just get that next shiny thing, that next iPhone, that next car, that next boat, that next house, that next toy, whatever it is, then eventually I will catch up. Eventually I will have enough money to catch up to what it is that my desires actually are. It was fascinating. There was a study done on happiness. And happiness, specifically how it relates to money. And so they asked these people the same set of questions about how happy they are. And then they asked them about what their average household income was. So it was a fascinating, pretty classic bell curve, right? Where people aren't really happy. Like the peak of happiness for a household is $75,000. And then after that, people begin to get more and more sad. 75000 $75,000. Yeah okay? and I, and I know that's that's a good chunk of money $75,000 okay but that's that's just slightly above average in, in our context in King's County. Okay? And so everything after that is no longer happy. It does like like all of that want, all of that desire, all of that stuff money begins to manage you at that point. And so that fake it till you make it mentality really is true. But one of the things that, that we strive here is is for authentic, authenticity. We want to be the same people on stage and in our offices that we are off the stage at our homes and all of those things. So we're going to do our best to be real about finances, what the Bible says regarding them. So the first one, there's five truths we're going to talk to today, five biblical principles. The first one is, is the Bible wants you to earn your income honestly. Okay, Proverbs 13, 11 speaks to this. It says, dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. The growth of your character, hear this, the growth of your character needs to outpace the growth of your wealth. Let me say that again. The growth of your character needs to outpace the the growth of your wealth. You know, most people who get rich quick, you guys have seen it, like, like the things that are heard about, the, the lottery winners who like hit the jackpot and a couple years later, like they're broke, right? And they have all of these toys laying around their yard that no longer have any value and it wasn't taken care of. And yeah, we won $200 million in the Powerball, but uh, you know, we lost it all last year all of a sudden. And they're like, I don't know where all my money went. Or a really fascinating uh, trend, I saw it on on ESPN, 30 for 30. Um, I forgot what it was called. I think it was called like bankrupt or something depressing like that, Um, where they took a look at NFL players and their paychecks, their incomes, and then they looked at their their financial situation after they had retired. 78% of people who played in the NFL are broke two years after retirement two years. These are, these are guys who have made just money hand over fist, right? All of us think, man, like my dream job, I've told my wife this, my dream job would be to be a bullpen catcher for the San Francisco Giants, right? Like I'll make, I'll make the, I'm happy to make the league minimum. I'll sit on the sideline. I'll watch everything I could, I could possibly do and, and, and just like make money no problem, Right Here's the concern with all of this stuff though, these get rich quick, these people who had no money and then all of a sudden we have a ton of money is their character did not outpace their resources. And so when they got all of this stuff, when they got all of these resources, all of this money, they did not know how to keep up with it. And while most of them, a lot of them, you know, professional athletes and that sort of thing, they, they work hard and all of that stuff, it, oftentimes their character had not caught up. They did not know what it was they were supposed to do with it. And so Bible, the Bible, man, it commends hard work. God tells us, he does tell us, hey, rest one day a week. But you know what he tells us? Work the other six, right? So we get, everybody's like, oh, we don't take enough Sabbath. Yeah, well, just work the other six and then take a Sabbath. The Bible tells us, hey, get your hands dirty. Go to work, this means that, that if I want stuff, I should, I should generally work to earn it and be productive with my life. Mostly because God wants to continue to grow our character at a faster pace than he wants to grow our resources. So as we get our resources, we know how to best manage them, steward them. That's why we talk about that scripture, right? If you're faithful with little, be faithful with much. Even last week as we talked about that parable and the gold bags, right, that field... The, the one guy who got like the five bags, he invested. He got five bags more. He got 10 bags. You know what the owner did? He's like, hey, you did so good. You've been faithful with this. I'm going to give you even more. Hey, guy who wasn't faithful, here's, here's, here's uh, his money. The Bible talks about this. I'm going to give you much. And so oftentimes when we go into like these get rich quick schemes, whatever it is, we're asking for the long shot, right? We're asking for God to answer all of our problems. God, make me a millionaire overnight. And the problem is our character isn't ready for that. We aren't ready for that. So God doesn't want us to look to get rich quick schemes. He wants us to work hard for the resources that we are given so we understand the value that is associated with those things. It's the same reason that so many parents want their kids to buy their first car and maintain their first car, right, and pay for the insurance and pay for the gas and all that stuff because the kid all of a sudden understands the value of the car, I understood the value of my first car. It was like five hundred dollars, and it was a 1982 Toyota pickup. That was a tin can with an engine, but it was mine, and I understood it, and I had a responsibility to it. So that's the first one. Okay. Second one is this: We want to honor God with our first. Okay. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and ten. It says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops." Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with the new wine. This is a Baptist church. and I talked about new wine and vats. Careful. Um, but it's interesting because it says we want to honor God with our first. And a lot of people, we tend to not give because giving comes at the end of the list. Right? We have, let's say you get $1,000, right? You work for a week, you got 1000 bucks, Okay? And uh, you think to yourself, okay, I got all these bills. I got like... and it's groceries and it's gas. For me, $800 is just groceries. It's fun stuff, Uh, lots of kids. But it's all of those things you have to take care of, right? And You got like your car payment in there and you got a life insurance in case I die and like it's the most depressing type of insurance, but you have it anyway. Like, you have all of these bills that you have to pay and then after that, like, hey, I want to take the family out for dinner. It's going to be really nice. We're going to drop a hundred bucks on that. And it's really nice for my family. It's like Taco Bell for a hundred bucks, right? And then and then after that, after dinner, you're like, hey, you know what? I've really been wanting like, like a new phone and so, oh, but I can get on the monthly plan for the phone and so, so if I get on the monthly plan, yeah, I can swing it. And before we know it, a 1000 bucks is gone. And we think to ourselves at the end of it, man, well, when I, when, I get, when I start making a little bit more money, that's when I can be generous. That's when I can begin to give. That's when I can start stewarding my money better. And God tells us right here, he says, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. What I actually want you to do is give of your first fruits. Give the first thing that you get. And then after you get that everything, you can take care of everything else after that. I could spend more time talking about that, but but uh, Kyle sat down, Pastor Kyle sat down with Bill Wilkinson this week. And he's got an absolutely incredible story that highlights this better than I ever could. And so we're going to show that. It's about five minutes long or so.
1: My name is Bill Wilkinson. And growing up. I didn't have much money, we didn't have much money growing up. So when I finished college and I got uh, my first teaching job, I was excited to have money. Very excited to have money. What ended up happening is I uh, ended up going through a divorce, my first wife, and even more so um, I found out after we split that uh, we were in deep financial trouble to the tune of $60,000 in credit card debt. and. Uh, as the creditors kept coming towards me to, to collect, I knew that uh, bankruptcy was around the corner and uh, th- we had to get rid of the house as one of the conditions of of this divorce. Uh, one of the things we did purchase through our uh, marriage was our, our home and that was the only home that my daughters knew and we we're gonna have to give that up. It was during that time also that um, I met my now wife, Julie, who we've been married now for 12 years. I remember having many conversations with Julie, and she was a faithful giver uh, since becoming a Christian a few years before. She would always tell me, You have to give your first fruits to the Lord. When I knew that I had to leave the home, and um, the point came where I had to find a new um, new location, a new apartment. I, it was in the summer, on a weekday in the summer, and I had to put a deposit down on the apartment that was going to move my, me and my two girls in. I remember calling Julie on the phone, and t- we are talking about we needed to, I needed to put this deposit in, and we had the conversation again. You, you need to put your faith in God. You need to give your put your financial faith in him, and he will he'll come through. And I took a leap of faith that day. I hung up the phone with her, and I had uh, I knew I had to put the deposit in. But instead of putting the deposit in that day, I wrote out my first tithing check here to FBH. I drive home. And when I'm pulling down my street, I can see the for sale sign on my house, which has been there before, but also uh, I saw the, uh, a car, a vehicle. I think it was a truck that was parked on the side of the street. I pulled into my driveway. I got out, introduced myself, and it was an older couple, friendly old, older couple. They introduced themselves as uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Deist. And I invited them into my, in the house. We walk in, I remember walking through the kitchen, dining room and we're in the living room about ready, about ready to show them um, the bedroom area and um, I turned to them and I said you're gonna absolutely love living on this uh, street it's a great neighborhood great neighbors and they stopped me in my tracks and they said no, we're not looking to uh, to move in here we're we're looking for an investment property we want to uh, rent this house out we don't want to live here Two days later, I get a call from Mr. Dice and he said, "Bill, I, I bought the we bought the house, and um, we'd like to know if um, if, we, if you'd like to rent it." Yeah, absolutely. And so we got to stay, and um, moving the story along, uh, uh, to know that. I didn't have to move my girls out of, out of their home and then for the next um, I believe the next five years or so that ended up being our home when once Julie and I married um, a year later ever since I gave my first tithing check I never stopped tithing Julie's been a tither years before that she's never stopped and once we married we we tithed um, without, without question not because we are looking for the, the gift and the end, that's not, the, that's not the, the reason. We do it because we love God, and we want to give God our, our first harvest, our first fruits. No, by putting faith in God, you, you, can, you can get through this. The financial hardships that we get ourselves, these holes we get ourselves in, are holes that can be filled. But we start with God. And we, um, we give to Him first, and then he'll, He takes care of, of the rest. And I believe that with all my heart.
0: I mean, we could, uh, we could probably close in prayer right there. It's a pretty fascinating story. But the scripture right here says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It's the only passage in scripture where God says, test me in something that he says. Um, and so that's something that I want to make sure that, that we, we glom onto. Bill said two very important things here. Okay, the first thing he said was the Christianese term that I just read before was bring your first fruits, bring the first things that you have. But the second thing that I think was, was equally important was, hey, we don't give because we're expecting the gift at the end. That's not why we give, and we will never say that if you give a dollar here, man, you'll reap what you'll sow. You'll get $100 back. I wish I could say that in good conscience, but that is contrary to what Scripture says. And so what I do want to make you aware of, though, is that that God does say in Malachi 3.10, hey, test me in this. Test me in this. Give of your first fruits. Test me in this and see if I don't show up. Man, he showed up in an incredibly real way in Bill's life. There's going to be a 12-minute a, a version. So Bill and Kyle sat down and talked for like an hour. And then Kyle brought me like this 12-minute version. And he was like, hey, man, I can't cut any more out of this. I was like, you have to because people are going to fall asleep on Sunday if you don't. It's dark in here. Like it feels good in here. And their sugar is worn off. You have to. So that was the five-minute version. The 12-minute version uh, later on today we're going to post to our Facebook page. I'd encourage you to watch it. It's even more powerful than the five minutes that you got um, you got there. But the way a lot of us think about our, uh, our paychecks is that after we get through our bills, after we get through our toys, after we get through our desires and think to ourselves, hey, man, one day I hope that I will have enough money to be able to be generous enough to give. And God flips that on its head. God says, no, that's not, that's not what you are supposed to do. We shouldn't think about what we have left to be able to, be, to, be able to give to God." We should think to ourselves, God has graciously provided to me all of the resources I have. And I want him to know that I remember who gave me these things. He has provided it to me. So before I spend a nickel, I'm going to give it right back to him in the thanks. And so that's, uh, that's number two. Number three, and we'll start cruising along here. The third principle is this. Plan your spending. Proverbs 21.5. This is what it tells us. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to profit to poverty. A lot of us look at our money and we think to ourselves, hey, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna track our spending. And so we look back at our money rather than looking forward at our money. We look at what our money has done to us rather than what we are going to do to our money. So when I talk about the idea of your money managing you rather than you managing your money, this is one of the things that I'm talking about. We think that we have like a, a firm grasp on our money if we look back to all of the mistakes that we've made, right? If we look back, we are like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I shouldn't have run out and got ice cream that day. I only had that much. Oh, uh, we'll be better next month. And then we plan next month, and then we don't track any expenses until the end of the month, and we look back at our mistakes again, and on and on and on and on. It goes. That's just the way it happens. So let me, let me propose something to you. Um, many of you have been to our, our annual business meeting at the church, right? It happens in January. And what happens is we come and we review our financials from the year before. This is the money that we spent. This is where it's gone. And... and um, everybody agree with that's where our money is gone. Everybody votes, says yes, hopefully. Um, and, then, and then after that, we say, okay, those are our finances. Here's now our budget. And we go through our budget, and myself and the stewardship chair, who happens to be Ellen Weaver, um, right now anyway, um, come up here, and we just take questions, right? Anybody who has a question, we're like, hey, fire away, ask us questions. And we have to give an account for everything that we've budgeted. We said, hey, look, this is our plan. Well, how come this got raised a little bit? Well, this is what we need to buy this year how come this decreased why did this go away why are you adding this all of those things it's an open floor for us to have to give an account for the budget that we have in place for the for the next year right and then what happens is is that year goes by and then again we review the financials and people can say hey look you budgeted five thousand dollars for this you spent six can you tell us why that went over we better have a good answer for that. And beyond that, we better have a plan as to how we're going to make up that $1,000 deficit that we had in that account. It makes sense, right? All of us are like, yes, that sounds financially responsible. Good for you guys. Good job, church, right? Like it feels good. But, but let me throw something out there. I think we should have a new way of budgeting. This is what I think we should do. We should say, okay, we. this is about how much money we bring in every year. And so we're just going to tell you guys how we spend it. We'll track our spending at the end of the year. We'll tell you how we did, and then you guys can agree or disagree. As a, like, it would be a nightmare, right? Like, we're going to take all the reins off. We're just going to say, hey, look, look, yo, yeah, you need some money? Sure, we have this much money in the bank. It won't be an issue. Okay, but, but where is the financial responsibility there? Where is the planning there for us to say, hey, look, this is where we're at. This is where we would like to go. We need to make sure that that we're planning Well, and so in your own lives, I would ask you to do the same thing, right? My guess is, is your budgeting process and your your tracking process might look differently if 300 people got an opportunity to look at it every time they wanted to look at it, right? You and your spouse might have a much different conversation, And that's one of the things I would encourage you with also. Dave Ramsey, and we are launching Financial Peace University in a couple weeks. If money is something you struggle with, if money is something you love and you just want to learn more about, I don't care where you're at on the spectrum of money, join this class. Come check it out. You can sign up online. You can talk to Jeff afterwards. You can talk to Ellen if you know who she is. She'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Okay, but one of the things that you learn in Financial Peace University, there's two types of people in marriages oftentimes. There's the spender and there's the saver. Savers right now are nudging the spender in, uh, in their seats, right? Because there's usually one of the two. And if you don't know which one you are, you're the spender, okay? Just as a heads up. Okay, but, but one of the things that Ramsey teaches is like, hey, look, you, when you're budgeting, you got to get together with the person that you, like, you guys are taking an account with. Right? So if, if I spent all the time sitting there and nerding out over an Excel spreadsheet and, and, and figuring out where all of our money is going to go and projections and look at this pie graph and all that stuff. I don't speak financial language. I just threw pie graph in there to impress you all. Is that impressive? Um, but if I spent all this time and I didn't include my wife in that, then she's going to go off and spend whatever she wants to spend. And then I'm going to come back and be like, wait, we didn't, well, we didn't budget for that. And she's like, I didn't budget for anything. You budgeted for something and I'm going to go do what I want to do, right? Like, And so when it comes to budgeting, if you are married, if you have a significant other and you guys have a joint bank account where you're responsible for your finances together, sit down with that person. Make a plan together and walk out that plan with one another. That would be our goal. Okay, number four, save for the future. Save for the future we get this from Proverbs 6 6 to 11 and can I just tell you real quick there's a word in here that my dad used to call me the word is sluggard and uh, a sluggard well you'll just see and it hurt my feelings every time he did he said go to the ant, you sluggard Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food for harvest. Right? The ant, the hard worker, the one that everybody can rely on. Now comes me, according to my dad. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? <laughs> it's when I was in high school and it was like noon and he would call me anyway. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to the rest and, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Right? It talks about and, and we all know this is important. We all know saving is important. Okay, but going back even to the church's finances, like we have to give an account for those things. So when unplanned things happen to come up, like your budget isn't blown you already have a resource sitting there waiting for you to be able to take care of it right when i got here man the church was in fi- it was in a financial rough shape and so we only had as a church a couple hundred dollars in our savings account Like I came and I was stressed, like that would have stressed me out as like an individual for my own home. Forget a church that operates on over a million dollars a year of a budget, right? With a facility that is the size of an acre that's built out. Like, Like that is stressful. And so we had no provision in place. And so that's one of the things that the stewardship and I that we decided, hey, one of, the, one of the primary things that we need to be able to do is put a plan in place should something crazy happen, like at the church. Like, I don't know, like we don't meet budget for a year or like a pipe burst or anything like that. And so uh, after a couple months here and reorganizing and shuffling our funds and that sort of thing, we now have easily over $100,000 in the bank for when something does go wrong We have a plan in place for it. I would implore you to do the same thing with your personal finances as well. Things will go wrong. Bad things will happen. And so you need to make sure that you have that plan in place. And then number five, the most important one, if you don't do anything else, do this one. Appreciate what you have. Appreciate what you have. This is gonna be in Hebrews 13, verse five. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content With what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You can only be satisfied with what you have when you assess what it is that you actually have. When you assess what it is that you actually have, I'm not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge counting your pennies on Christmas Day or anything like that. I'm talking about what it is that you actually have and what the Bible gets at, that my relationship with God is always, always enough. Regardless of your financial standing, regardless of what bills are coming in and coming out, your relationship with God is always, always enough. And in the words of the great theologian, Mary Poppins, she says, enough is as good as a feast, Enough is as good as a feast. It's a mindset to know that, that I have enough. So do you have enough? Do you know that, that even if you lose all of your money, you still have that treasure in heaven that comes as a free gift from God when you enter into a relationship with the son Jesus? That's at the end of all of this. You can save all you want. You can be generous all you want. But if you don't have Jesus at the end of the day, it's all for naught. You have to love Jesus And I know it sounds very, like, Christianese, because, like, how do treasures in heaven help me pay for my kids' braces now? right? And, and obviously, it, it doesn't. But it does remind us to be content in what God has blessed us with. I think the la- this, this really is, this last piece of the puzzle is why Americans are drowning in credit card debt. You know, the average individual, the average American individual has over $6,000 in credit card debt, the average couple over 10, and that was in 2019. Credit card debt has gone up 4.1% year over year since then, it's supposed to go up again this year, okay? So it would put us closer to eleven dollars to $12,000 in credit card debt per couple, and I would bet that the majority of that comes from discontentment. That's what I would bet. People not knowing how to not just live their life within their means, but knowing where their true value actually comes from. That knowing that regardless of my paycheck, regardless of my living situation, regardless of whatever it may be, regardless of the fact that, man, my kid's going to have crooked teeth for a few more years, Regardless of whatever those things are, that your worth is not in your checkbook. Your worth is not in your savings account. Your worth is not in your generosity. Your worth is in Jesus Christ alone, period. So if you get nothing else right, get this part right. We say storing up treasure in heaven. But at the end of the day, this helps us realize that our treasure is not here. That we have something far more valuable in Christ than a paycheck will ever provide and it really does go back to your view of the world your personal theology of the world the question is and and it's a weird way to phrase it but but is this life the one that you are currently living the most important piece of your life most of us if we're lucky we're going to get 60 70 80 maybe 90 years cross our fingers Right? And that's exciting. And while we're on earth, we want to do our best. And man, I got the toys and I got the resources, and I got the money and I'm never going to be stressed about anything. Like it's going to be great. And we, we, we put so much time and so much energy into that. But the reality is, is that even on the 80, 90 plus years that we're going to get on the earth, man, that is a scratch in compared to the cord of eternity that's going to stretch out after us. So the question becomes is what retirement are you planning for? Are you planning for that retirement when you're 65 plus? If I can get 65 to 85, go on a cruise to the Bahamas back when people still used to go on cruises. Like is that the retirement that you're planning for? If I can have just enough money to sail off into the sunset, I'll be good to go. Or is the retirement that you're planning for to be able to be wise with money, be generous with money, save your money, and then when you're 85 and you get to pass away into glory, that that is the retirement that you've been waiting for. That's the retirement that we need to be planning on. And and church, can you just imagine what, what, what it would look like if the kingdom of God, the family of God, simply was wise with our money? Beyond just... You know, savings and and debt payoff and all that stuff. There's been numerous studies done that talks about when, when people are no longer worried about debt or no longer concerned about their financial situation, they are more willing to do the things that they feel called to do. This isn't even a Christian study. They feel more compelled to live in such a way that they feel like is the way they want to live. And so let's put it into a Christian lens then. If that is indeed true, then Christians should believe that the most important thing, the thing that they have been called to do, is to represent Christ and Christ crucified in their lives. To tell people about who Jesus is. And so if that's true, can you imagine, church, if the church was fiscally responsible with their money, how much more the kingdom would be able to grow? Because the followers of Jesus would then feel freed up, not have the stress, be able to contribute to the places that they feel like kingdom work is being done. Man, the the community, the kingdom would be transformed. But we want to talk about money in church. It's got a stranglehold on so much of us that if we were just willing to be wise with our money to pay off that debt, to to put some money away to savings and then just be generous, that the kingdom would be transformed. Kings County would be transformed. The people of God would begin to take up their cross daily. They would move throughout the week, not figuring out how to pay off credit cards, but figuring out how to love people and serve people to the best of their ability. We wouldn't be stressed we'd be more generous and we would have the ability to fund those God-given dreams that we that, that were put there by our creator in the first place church we have to be wise with our money so we can clearly articulate what it is that God would have for us and our neighbors throughout the world amen let's pray Heavenly Father God, I thank, you. I thank you for this series. I thank you for the challenge that it is for me. And God, I pray that, that even as we talk about this, we would recognize that, that last piece, that piece number five of recognizing where our worth is, what retirement is it that we are actually planning for, that, that, that we would remember that, God, and that we would remember our first fruits, we remember to save and make sure that we're wise with our savings so we have a plan for when things go wrong. And that above it all, we would just honor you with our entire lives, including our bank account. And so, God, for those people who maybe haven't taken a good look at number five and and figuring out where it is that that treasure is actually stored, where our worth comes from. And maybe they haven't said yes to you. They haven't said yes to your son and what you did on the cross. If that's them today and they want to enter into the family of God, God, I pray that they would just pray along with me. And say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I fall short every single day. Every single hour I fall short, Father. And I admit that. But B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And that he conquered death. And so because of that, my eternal retirement is with him. And see, I would choose to follow you, that I would repent of my sin, repent of the things that I do that I know grieves you, that I know grieves your spirit, and that I would choose to follow you every single day. And for all of us, that, that begins with just our lives, and, and so much of it is wrapped up in our checkbooks as well. And so, God, I pray I would choose to follow you with my checkbook. I would choose to give. I would choose to save, and I would choose to be wise with the resources that you've been given, or that you've given me, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.